Welcome to the Experts Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. Usually our interviews focus on mental health issues, but now we need to broaden our focus for a bit so that we can talk of the entire person and the environment in which we all live. The April 20th Gulf of Mexico oil spill, and spill is really not the right term. It's an ongoing leak. It's a gusher. We need to talk of the known and possible effects of this oil leak on human health. The dimensions are considerable. In 1989, the Exxon Valdez spilled about 11 million gallons. The current burden from the Gulf leak is about 200,000 gallons a day. So as of May 22nd, the day we're recording this, we're up to about 6.5 million gallons thus far. And the key is thus far because it's still leaking. Much has been rightly said about the environmental impact on aquatic life. But when it comes to humans, it seems so much of the discussion has been on the economic effects of human life and not the medical effects. Gina Solomon is an associate clinical professor of medicine at the University of California in San Francisco, one of my favorite cities. She works there also as the co-director of the Occupational and Environmental Medicine Training Program, as well as in the Pediatric Environmental Health Specialty Unit. She is also a senior scientist at the Natural Resources Defense Council. Dr. Solomon, thanks for taking the time to be with us. I'm very happy to be here. I confess that my interest in environmental health is greater than my knowledge. So as this oil slick comes ashore, what do we have to worry about? What comes to your mind? What do we have to do? I'm interested in your thoughts, please. Yeah, I'm a toxicologist and have worked on environmental health issues for many years, but even I am looking out to see apprehensively and still don't have a full handle on what the human health effects of this will be. There are some things that we do know and then a great many things that we don't know. So I guess we could start by talking about some of the things we do know about oil and its health effects. Absolutely. And not to panic people, but just so they have a little bit of a handle of what might happen and what's been known to happen when there have been other spills. We're, we're here just to give information as much as we have. Sure. Well, crude oil contains a lot of different chemicals, some of which will stay in the water, some of which will settle down into the sediments, and some evaporate into the air. So in the near term, what I'm most focused on from a human health perspective is what's getting into the air. Studies of oil show that about 40% of what gets spilled actually ends up in the air because they're volatile chemicals. Some of the volatile chemicals are are hazardous to human health. Benzene is a well-known example. So the question is, how much of the benzene and other volatile chemicals in that oil is really blowing to land and is available for people to potentially inhale along the coastline? I'm also, of course, concerned about the workers that are out there cleaning up the spill because they're the closest to the to any inhaled contaminant. Yeah, that has always been a considerable concern because these people are actually touching and breathing the, the vapors. They're right there. They're as close as one can be. Exactly. And these volatile organic compounds, VOCs, benzene being the most obvious example, in the near term cause some fairly nonspecific symptoms, things such as headaches, nausea, vomiting, shortness of breath or irritation of the airways, irritation of the eyes. Some people feel a little bit lightheaded or dizzy if they're exposed. These are the kinds of things that we're hearing reports of these kinds of symptoms along the Gulf Coast, especially in southern Louisiana, where um, I think the, the biggest concern lies right now for air quality. But it's always tough to know if the complaints are related to the oil or if it's coincidental. 
people are smelling the oil and they're worrying about what those odors are bearing with them. You know, are there health effects associated with the odors? And in some cases there are, and in some cases the odors may be from other chemicals that are not as hazardous as benzene and, and some of the more toxic VOCs. The couple articles that I was able to find which began to address this had some difficulty delineating or separating how much was just the, the fear of smelling something and the psychological effects. But when they did very careful statistical analysis, by my reading of it, they think there really is an association with the fumes and these symptoms that you talked about. If a person begins to feel this and the oil is approaching their their neighborhood, the question is, do they go to the doctor? Do they not? not go to the doctor. It's a hard call. We don't have a hard answer, but we know something is happening. I've been advising people when they notice smells of oil to go inside if they can, if they have an air-conditioned home that they can go into, that will actually reduce the exposure. You know, I don't think we're at a point where people really need to move away from the coast or anything like that, but it is something where the wind is blowing in different directions at different times of day. Some, you know, different places are getting affected, and people are definitely noticing something. And I was noticing it myself. I was in Louisiana last week, and there were some evenings especially where there was a heavy smell that it smelled like diesel fuel or crude oil and it's nauseating in and of itself just to smell the stuff, let alone knowing some of the chemicals that could be in, in the air. The smell of diesel fuel is interesting because it makes for an overlap. I know there's a lot of concern and a lot of study that diesel fuel may actually be associated with an increase in presence of asthma in kids. Mm -hmm, exactly. You know, all of these chemicals are very irritating to the airways. And so people who have asthma or other airway diseases like emphysema or, or COPD are at high risk of having you know, exacerbations if they're breathing any of these fumes. Not because they're, they're necessarily because of long-term toxicity, but just that their airways are a little more susceptible to that irritant effect. And so I'm most concerned about folks with underlying lung disease. And I'm also concerned about pregnant women because some of these chemicals are, have been linked to miscarriage, to premature birth, and also to lower birth weight. Those are mostly at pretty high exposure levels and not levels that we've been seeing so far, but it's always good to be cautious. And so that's another population that I'm particularly keeping an eye out watching the, the air quality report. The problem with this particular oil leak is that it hasn't stopped. And so we don't know how long it's going to continue with the typical spills that happen when uh, tankers you know, go aground. It's over. We know. And then we can sort of plan ahead. There's no more oil. So people really need to be watching the news and on alert as this thing continues. We don't know how long it's going to go. That's exactly true. And it matters for a couple reasons. One is, as I mentioned before, some of the chemicals evaporate off of the oil fairly early on when it hits the surface. So normally with the spill, you worry about air contaminants just for the first day or two. And then all of those chemicals will have evaporated off and dissipated. And then you don't really worry about airborne contaminants after that. In this case, the oil is still bubbling up from underneath. And it's still evaporating off. So every day, there's more oil off-gassing vapor you know, into the air. So until the leak stops, we really can't rest easy on air quality issues, nor can we even get a handle on the scope of the water contamination and the long-term 
contamination in the food chain. Meaning that it blows on the land, that goes the cows breathe it and goes onto the corn and that sort of thing? Well, I'm actually more thinking about the ocean food chain because what we're seeing is that this oil is going to kill off, I'm afraid, large numbers of sea creatures, fish and shellfish and even marine mammals. But what will happen in the longer term is many of those chemicals will end up in the sediments and they'll sort of get sequestered away in the bodies of the fish and the shrimp and oysters and so forth for many months and probably many years to come. That means that there's going to be a long-term legacy from this spill of contaminants in the Gulf food chain. And I find that very sad because I, I love to eat fish and shrimp and one of my favorite things when I come down to the Gulf Coast is really um, enjoy the seafood, and that may be something we can't enjoy for quite a time to come. Will the oil also go into the sand on the beaches and become sequestered there? Is there any hint that that may be a problem? The oil, once it gets onto beaches, is more a nuisance than a real health problem because, you know, it Certainly, you know, you can get that tarry stuff onto your feet or onto your skin. It, by that point, very weathered and aged, and so it may have some local irritant effect, cause a rash or skin irritation, but it won't be likely to penetrate the skin or cause any serious health effects. So it's just going to be an annoyance on our beaches, but not a real health threat. I think one of the problems for people on the east coast of Florida, where I am, is that there is some confusion. I guess there's just mixed data coming from the media and looking even at the scientific material of how dangerous the oil still is after it has circled up, gone down the west coast, down through the bottom of the Florida loop, and then finally comes to us. Mm -hmm. I mean, we don't know, but this is more the reason why we need to talk about it and let people be aware of it. It, it also is going to be a factor of how much oil gets drawn into the loop current and comes around. I think that the health danger will be lessened by the time the oil has traveled long distances because most of the very hazardous contaminants will have evaporated off. But there are, so it's going to still be a problem in the aquatic food chain and for the sea creatures, and it will still be a, an annoyance and probably a skin irritant for people who come in contact with it along the east coast of Florida, but I don't expect that it's going to be a big health threat once it gets around there. It'll be, it'll be unpleasant, and people will be rightfully upset about it, but probably not getting sick from it, fortunately. One of the issues that comes up from this and always needs at least some comment is this shows how interconnected we are to events, even man-made events, that are many miles away from us, but they can still haunt us. We're much more accepting of earthquakes and volcanoes uh, as opposed to these types of accidents, but we are interconnected, and there's a tremendous lesson here that we have to think of our environment in a much larger way. That's very true, and it, the environment that we live in has you know, all kinds of effects on us and on our well-being and on our, you know, our mental health, our physical health. And it was striking to me when I was in Louisiana last week talking with a lot of people that, you know, in some ways things seem deceptively normal, I'm sure. But everyone is thinking about what's going on out there. And I'd be in restaurants or in the FedEx office or uh, the gas station or anywhere I was, and everybody was talking about the disaster that was unfolding offshore and everyone was affected 
in some way. Either they, you know, were a fisherman or a family of fishermen or knew someone whose livelihood was affected or they were worried about the health effects or just sort of anxious about what this was going to mean for the entire health and economy of the the whole region. Oh, I agree. I found an article interestingly published in 1999, which talked about people who lived in areas exposed to crude oil spillage were significantly, uh, was significantly associated with higher anxiety and depression scores, mental health scores, and self-reported headache. And the authors very properly said that though they found these, it's very hard to absolutely connect them to the oil fumes. But the association were there, and it, it makes us think, and it makes us want to look more at these things, because though we don't want future uh, accidents like this, we have to understand the impact of this, not just on the aquatic life, but on ourselves. And we also have to remember that hurricane season's about to begin. Everyone's aware that it, the fifth anniversary of Hurricane Katrina is coming up, that what's out there in the Gulf can be a threat in many different ways, and that the you know, large part of the region from Louisiana to Florida is still recovering from various strong hurricanes over the last few years. And if this turns out to be a bad hurricane season, I think a lot of people are worrying about what will happen when that wind with sea sort of sprays salt and oil contaminated winds all through the Gulf Coast area. And this is in many ways similar to the themes for people who are old enough to remember of what were called the downwinders from the Nevada atomic bomb tests in the 1950s. And they they exploded the bombs in Nevada, but the wind carried the radiation many, many miles away. And so what happens on the other side of our state actually can affect us. We're saying the same thing over and over again, but it's so true and we need to make that part of our thinking. So let me go back for just a moment. The issues that you in occupational and environmental health are seeing from this, at least from the literature, are headaches, irritations in the eyes, the skin, sore throats, but it doesn't seem to be, it seems to be more transitory than not. Is that a fair statement or am I being too simplistic? We have studies from the workers who helped to clean up the Exxon Valdez spill, showing longer-term health effects in many of the workers. These are guys who were really out there in it, and they were often using high-pressure hoses to blast oil off the rocks, which would cause an oil mist in the air that was highly respirable. And many of these people have had long-term lung problems, in some cases quite severe so that's a problem for any worker exposures, probably not for the general population. The other issue is that some of the chemicals in oil you know, are cancer-causing chemicals. The doses, the levels are pretty low right now, so I'm not terribly concerned about elevated cancer risk. But with the oil still spilling, all bets are off about what the, the air levels will be over time. And so I'm watching that with with some concern. And if someone has any concerns about their own health or the health of their family, they should clearly discuss this with their doctor, keep posted on what's going on, keep their doctor posted what's going on, and we'll do what we have to do as we go through this. Gina Solomon is a senior scientist at the Natural Resources Defense Council and also an assistant clinical professor of medicine at the University of California in San Francisco. Dr. Solomon, thank you so much for joining us, and I hope we can talk again when this is all over and we get the all clear sign. I'm looking forward to it being over, too. Thank you, and have a good day. Take care. Bye-bye.